Colossians 3.11, I told you that we are dropping down into low gear. I'm going to spend today on this one verse because this one verse serves as a bit of a bridge between uh, verses 5 through 10, which we just uh, went to, that speaks to what we are to put off in Christ, and, and it also connects to where we go in verses 12 through 17, telling us what we are to put on in Christ. And the bridge between putting off and putting on is a call to union, union in Christ and union in the body. We need to emphasize this point, but we also need to see it in the broader context of the chapter, because this is where Paul is teaching us what it means to actually live out of our union in Christ. Now, I want to offer a word of admonition to you and to myself as we approach this text, and as we approach any text on any given Sunday, resist the urge to think to yourself, I hope so-and-so is listening. This message is for all of us, including the preacher. Let us pray, asking the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Father, we come to this text and and ask for the gift of Your Spirit to to open it for us, to to bring conviction and comfort Speak to us individually and collectively in Christ. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the Word of the Lord. So what is the foundation of our relational commitment to one another? Maybe let me personalize it. What is the foundation of your relational commitment to others? Do you understand what I'm asking? There, there, there's a basis for, um, for our our interpersonal relationships. There is a, there's a glue of sorts that, that holds us together. And so what is that glue for you? Is it some set of common um, cultural norms or beliefs? Is it, is it various behavioral tendencies, things like uh, the same neighborhood that you may live in with other people? Is it, or is it similar hobbies or uh, or jobs that, that might connect you and glue you to one another? Could it be obedience? Another person's obedience to you. Your obedience to another person. Or, could the relational glue that holds us together in a common bond instead be covenantal commitments? Some of us are not even sure what that means, and that's okay. We're going to unpack it today, beginning with the very first word in this verse. 
here? Where is here? What is here? Is here a a physical place? Is here a a neighborhood, a, a building? Or could here, in Colossians 3.11, be a relational community? And what type of relational community? The YMCA has a slogan, where community begins. Well, in context, the here of Colossians 3.11 is speaking of the church. Not a physical building. Not even a singular church, the, the singular church in Colossae or, or Christ Church PCA, but, but more broadly, the new recreated humanity. There's a flow that we have seen in this letter as, as Paul has, has exposed for us the falseness of, of this man-centered teaching that had been prevailing in, in Colossae and quite frankly, in the world then and now. And he contrasted it with the supremacy and all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And then after, after singing this beautiful Christ hymn of praise to Christ, he has shown the impact of that in terms of our union in Christ, our union in his death and in his resurrection. Hence, the recreated self. And the impact on the recreated self in terms of the recreated humanity. Now, this recreated humanity continues to bear resemblance to the old, but it's better. You know, we all have some idea of this. It, it, uh, our phones, our various apps, they, they all have this, um, this uh, picture editing software with a simple tap of a button or a screen we can enhance, we can brighten, we can make a picture better. You and I can look better with a simple touch of a button. And there's a sense in which that... Uh, that enhancement, but still connection to the old is, is a picture of this recreated humanity, but it's not enough. It's not far enough on, on multiple fronts. Because you see, the, the new recreated humanity is not merely an external change. The, 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 the photo editing software that we press, it, it, it's changing our appearance. This recreated humanity is doing something internal but it's also not merely enhancing it's transforming it's making us entirely new that is what Jesus has come to do not to make a better version of us but to make us new us as individuals new and us as a community A humanity new. And while this is true, it is not yet fully realized. Hebrews 10, 14 tells us that for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
The verse tells us that Jesus has made perfect those who are being perfected. That he has transformed those who are being transformed. It's both. It's been done and it's being done. And so the here that Paul describes as a new humanity, as a new community, is the church. The church that has been transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and is being transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean for us to live in and embrace this new humanity that has been and is being transformed? Well, he continues... Here, there is not. (laughs) There is not division. And he illustrates this division that is not by virtue of of three sets of opposites and, and one pair of extremes. There is not Greek or Jew. There is not circumcised or uncircumcised. Two uh, pairs that speak to uh, racial and religious practice, division that does not exist in the church of Jesus Christ. He goes on. There is not slave and free. When you hear slave and free in our context today, think employer-employee relationships. He's saying that that division does not exist in terms of our socioeconomic background, our socioeconomic experiences. And then he goes on to speak of a pair of extremes, barbarian and Scythian. Now, the Scythians were examples of barbarians. They were a a people group on the, the northern coast of the Black Sea. They were notoriously violent Notoriously uneducated, uncivilized people. They were the picture in the dictionary of barbarians. And everyone in the area knew about those people. And so when Paul says there are not those people, he's not saying we are more sophisticated than them. He's saying there is not that division Civilized and uncivilized. He's speaking to the cultural differences that do not exist in the church. He's saying there's not division because there are not those differences, but there is. There are those differences. You know it. I know it. And Paul knew it. Later in this chapter, he'll talk about slave and free. Telling the slave and the free man how they are to relate to one another in light of their union in Christ. So, how can there, be, uh, can there not be this division when he will clearly say that there is that division? Which is it? There is not or there is? Well, it's both. These distinctions remain. But what power are we to give them? Let me illustrate with a football game. A very specific football game. Not the Super Bowl. That's the one that we just 
enjoyed. For some, it's the highlight of the sporting year, though maybe not in our college football-loving region. Super Bowl is is this uh, event filled with pageantry and hero worship. How was this past Super Bowl build? Brady versus Mahomes. Now, I'm going to talk about another football game. Actually, my favorite football game, the Army-Navy game. I love to spend the day enjoying that game, and there is not a single Army-Navy game that goes by that I don't tear up at some point in time. See, the, the Army-Navy game might be uh, the football game that, um, that is the most diverse. There are players from every region of the country. They come in different sizes, different races, different abilities. They come from different family backgrounds, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. And though those differences remain, when they put that uniform on, there's one thing that matters. Army or Navy. See, in that game, they don't wear the players' names on the back of the jerseys. Speaks to their team. And that game is competitive. They, they go hard at it. They, they spend their entire time at the academy trying to beat the other. But at the end of that game, they stand arm in arm as brothers in arms because though the differences remain, they are not primary. You understand that? Though the differences remain, those differences are not primary. And for us, not talking about a football game, but talking about the church, the new humanity, the distinctions of the world, they are not removed. They're made relative. How can there is not and there is both be true? Because the text is speaking of what is most true. Paul goes on, but Christ is all. For the Christian, Jesus Christ is what is most true. He is all. And when the text tells us that he is all here, speaking of Jesus being primary. That's what Paul has been saying throughout this letter when he's spoken of our union in Jesus' death and in his resurrection. That's what he's been speaking of when, when he's alluded to the transformation that we have in Christ as Christ pursued us while we were yet still his enemies. We have been born again because Christ did that work in our hearts he's put to death the old self he's given us a new heart the heart of Christ Jesus then has cleansed us by the washing of his blood he has raised us up to new life in him he has adopted us into his family and he has continued to love us as we grow into his Christ likeness We have been and are being transformed in His likeness. He is all. He is primary. Now that is what is doctrinally true. That is what is legally true. 
the citizenship of the Christian. But what is experientially true? Let me ask you a question. What is the primary identifying factor in your life? Let that question sit for a moment. Resist responding with the Sunday school answer. We are all conditioned to answer in a certain way when asked a question. So think about it this way. If you meet a stranger on the street on Tuesday... What image are you trying to promote? If a stranger asks you, who, who are you? Maybe even, who are you? Tell me who you are without telling me what you do. What would you say? Let that be a truer answer of the primary identifying factor in your life. But here's the problem. Still asking a question for you to respond to. And every single one of us in this room has the ability and the tendency to twist our answers to questions to present the one that we want to be. So maybe, rather than asking a question, we need to observe an action. But we'll come back to the personalization question in a moment. Paul doesn't stop with Christ as all for you. He goes on. Because Christ is all and in all. What he's saying is that for every Christian, Jesus is primary. For every Christian, Jesus is the one who is most true. He is in all believers, uniting believers to one another. He says there is not Jew or Greek. Well, there most certainly is. But in Christ, those external divisions bear no weight. In terms of our relational union, our relational commitment to one another. So now, rather than asking you to tell me who you are, rather than asking you to tell me what is your primary identifying factor, show me. Show me by the way you see your fellow believers? What is the primary lens through which you see them? What is the primary lens through which you focus in on them? Remember back before we all carried cameras around in our pockets? Photographers would have these cameras that had these long lenses and they would twist the lens to focus in on their subject actually true photographers still have those (laughs) the rest of us carry around the phone and we tap on the camera app but those cameras still have a unique way of focusing you you look through the screen and then you tap on whatever it is you want the camera to focus in on You tap on that screen, and the camera will know where to focus the lens. When you focus on another person, where do you tap the screen? What do you want to know about that other person before you let them in? 
Think about the distinctions that Paul is making. Is it a question of race? Or maybe they think the way they think about race. Are you like-minded with this other person in your approach? Could there be cultural issues at play? Do you want to know what their hobbies are? What, what is their background before you let them in? Do, are you trying to sift through their level of sophistication? Their socioeconomic background? How about politics? What political party do they align with? How do they vote? Are they as passionate about their vote as you are? Or are they as dispassionate about their vote as you? What, where do you tap the screen to learn about that other person before you let them in? Can I offer a radical thought? Well-meaning Christians differ on these issues. Well-meaning Christians differ on these issues because Christ is meant to be primary. Yet all of us have these lenses that we look through. Here's the question. Are we aware of how often we make them primary? And are we aware that when we make them primary, what we are in effect doing is dropping Jesus down the priority list? I'll associate with the person who is like me, and then we will get to Jesus. And we've dropped him down the ladder of importance. We can say Jesus is primary all we want, but beyond what we say, the way we sift out others will tell us what is actually primary in our hearts. Look, there is no doubt that some of these differences are important, and I am not saying that there are not those differences, but others are less so. So the question is, are we willing to know one another so that we can examine our external differences in light of our union in Christ? What does it say about us when we build external fences? What does it say about our view of Jesus? Can I offer a point of application? I want to encourage everyone in this room, again, including the preacher, (laughs) to examine our hearts, to search our hearts. Do you have a relationship that has been injured and is unreconciled over an external matter? Do you have a relationship with another believer? where you've let an external matter take, take primacy. These external matters are more evident now than possibly ever before, and I am not merely talking about the big three of 2020. I'm not merely talking about COVID protocols, race relations, and political affiliations. I'm talking about anything that would allow us to separate from another believer. Anything that we allow to cause us to be unreconciled to another believer. Search your heart. Search your heart and allow Jesus to be all and in all. And let us then humble ourselves 
and seek reconciliation. Let us actually live into the core value that we describe for our church, the core value of peace. Let us be a people who seek reconciliation. Not denying external differences, but putting them in their relative place. In the beginning, I asked a question. I asked, what is the foundation of our relational commitment to one another? Is it based on an external factor? Or is it based on covenantal commitment, founded on covenantal union? Many of us struggle to grasp this notion of covenantal union. Many of us struggle to share it with others because we don't know what it is to receive it. Some of us have only known relationships where our acceptance or our rejection was based on some external factor. Many of us are wounded because that was the foundation of our relationships within our family of origin. Some of us are wounded because within our families of origin we have not experienced covenantal commitment. Some of us are wounded because it has been our experience in the world around us. We hear the message of gospel forgiveness in Christ and we deeply desire it. And yet, On the other hand, it is hard for us to embrace this gospel commitment in Christ because we've never known it. So instead, we opt for gospel forgiveness and like-minded commitment. I'm being purposefully pointed in this passage because I believe this passage is purposefully pointed as it calls the church of Jesus Christ to put off the old way and to put on the new. And in that bridge, describing our union in Christ, the bridge between what we are to put off and what we are to put on, Paul intentionally goes to our union in the body. As I am trying to be purposefully pointed, I'm not doing it to condemn, but to expose. Because when our sin struggles are exposed, then we can let go of them. And be drawn more closely into intimate union in Christ. And into a more intimate union within the body. Friends, if you are a Christian, you have experienced covenantal commitment. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ not because you pursued Christ, but because Christ pursued you. And he did not pursue you because he saw some potential in you. Because he saw something that he thought he could work with. He did not pursue you because of your good gene pool. He pursued you because before the foundation of the world, the Lord our God made a covenantal commitment to love you and to transform you, and to bring you into glorious eternal union within the Godhead and within the body of Christ, the believers who have lived and will live across the ages. The Lord our God has committed to you because He committed to you. 
His commitment is the basis for his commitment. And his commitment is founded on his grace. So friends, when we think about our commitment to one another within the body of Christ, we go back to the membership vows that we take. And we listen to the flow of those vows. Those flow, the flow of those vows begins with our need of a Savior, which puts us regardless of any external division, it puts us on an even footing before the cross as sinners. We acknowledge that and then we confess the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We confess His work of transforming grace and founded on those primary confessional vows we then commit to His body. The body to which He has already committed. The body within which He has united us. Friends, here. In this recreated, redeemed humanity, while distinctions remain, they do not divide. So don't let them. Because Christ is all and in all. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this message of gospel union in Christ and in the body of Christ would would ring true here in this body. Give us hearts, humble hearts, to love one another because you have first loved us. Give us humble hearts to both extend and receive this love. So that Jesus is primary. So that Jesus is all and in all. Do this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.